0: Together, we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joining with us over at Appleton and Stevens Point. And let's recite together the Apostles Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, Hey Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us again this morning for those of you in the second service here in Green Bay. Uh, I'm not physically here again, but you're watching uh, during the video from the first service. Uh, Dan and I are, and several of us are back down in Appleton this morning, helping our new campus down there get uh, through their transition with a new place and a new pastor and all that sort of thing. So uh, anyway, that's where we're at. This uh Uh, Next Wednesday is our first Wednesday, and uh, the first Wednesday of every month, we get together for a special service here at the church. I want to encourage you to come out. Uh, I won't be here. We have to be in Canada, because whenever it gets really cold, we head north. (laughs) Do you know we're going to be in Fargo in January? (laughs) The truth is, uh, almost everywhere we go, the weather is horrible. It really is. I've told you this for a lot of people don't believe you. You have no idea. It's either raining constantly or it's unusually cold or something. And they all know it. The reason they do this is when they have an event, they want to do it during a time of the year when nobody wants to be outside. Lucky me. So anyway, <clears throat> going, going north. Woo. But uh, Bishop Ed will be here. It'll be good to have him. We haven't seen him in a couple of months. So come on out. Listen to my little brother, Eddie, as he... <laughs> shares with all of you. I uh, want to let you know, uh, it's November already. Man, is this year going faster? What? You know, it's like crazy. I don't know if it's just going faster or the older you get, time just seems to go faster. I know when you are a kid, it looked like, you know, three minutes was like, forever! Yeah, and now it keeps going so fast. Just cr- I think maybe that's the reason really old people move so slow. <laughs> slow. What's going on? I don't know. Everything just seems to be accelerated in a crazy way. Anyway, we're in November already. Starting in December during our season of Advent, celebrating the birth of Christ, we're going to be launching our annual Legacy Campaign, time of year that we are trying to do something that goes beyond us, something that we can give into other people's lives, build uh, for the future for our children and grandchildren. It's called our Legacy Campaign. I don't encourage you to start thinking about it because when it comes time to a special financial gift a good time during the time of christmas you know also remember the kingdom of god you want the stuff that you're gonna you know the little toys and stuff that you get for everybody and the ties and everything else it's all gonna not be working a year later anyway (laughs) you know when you give into the kingdom of god you're doing something that lasts for eternity and rewards that will last forever you don't want to just die and get up there and you have nothing in your checking account all right you need to make some deposits into eternity this is what jesus taught over and over again And I want to read to you where Paul the Apostle talks about, uh, there was a time when he was getting everybody to do a special offering. Not just the regular one, but something special. In 2 Corinthians, we read about this. He says, therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brothers to go to you ahead of time. So he sent some guys ahead to prepare your generous gift beforehand. So he actually, not only announced we're going to do this thing, actually sent people ahead of time to encourage people, to remind them, hey, we're doing something special. Everybody get ready. Think about it beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Oh, here we go again. If this is what you're thinking, you're in a bad place. All right? And he goes on to say, so let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver, and God blesses those whom he loves. So you want to uh, get in a good place, and if you can start thinking about that, as it comes up into next month as we go into our legacy campaign. Uh, This morning, I want to talk to you on the subject of forgiveness. Psalm 32, verse 1, says this, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. There is no joy like the joy of forgiveness. You know, guilt can be a very heavy thing. Oftentimes, we hear in our culture about how bad it is to be guilt and stuff, and our secular culture tries to convince people, you don't have to be guilty, you know, something. Uh, but in a way, guilt is, is kind of a good thing. There's a, there's a bad version of guilt, <clears throat> but there's a good version of guilt. You know, if it wasn't for guilt, a lot of us would be a lot worse than we already are, right? <laughs> you know, you feel guilty, and, and some of that is good. You don't want to just get in a situation where you never feel guilty about things that you do wrong. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. And we have a conscience, which is a good thing, and the Holy Spirit comes, especially in the life of a Christian, to convict us of sin, which gives us a little bit of a sense of guilt. Now, again, it's not a real popular word today. Uh, You don't want to get in a situation, I know a lot of churches today, in in an effort to get to the good version of guilt, they want to get rid of the bad, they try and convince people they should never, ever feel guilty at all, which is absurd. You know, the only people who do not feel guilty are psychopaths. It's true. In fact, if you look up the word psychopath, it defines someone who never feels guilt at all. This is when we run into situations where you have really evil people that are running around and doing terrible things, and, you know, these are the people that, you know, as teenagers, they put cats in microwaves and blow them up, they feel nothing. They torture animals, and then they go on to people, and and we read about these horrible, horrible situations, Think, how is that even possible? Well, we call them psychopaths. Because they never feel bad about anything. So if you feel bad about something you did that was bad, don't feel bad for feeling bad. All right? Because this is a good thing. It helps kind of puts us in check. All right? Puts us in a situation where we need to make things right. Now, a bad version of guilt is that you feel condemned. That you are guilty and there is no way out. It's just a heavy burden on you, and that will suck the life out of you. And that is a horrible feeling. And as Christians, you don't ever have to be into that kind of a place. Uh, We read in Romans, the eighth chapter, Paul writing to the church. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that we'll never feel guilty or challenged by the Holy Spirit for stuff that we're doing wrong because we all say things we shouldn't say and do things we shouldn't do. And hopefully, the Holy Spirit. We have enough of a sensitive heart that we get checked and think, you know, man, I, I shouldn't do that. I feel bad for this. this is when we need to apologize to people or get right with God, whatever. Uh, so there's no the, the thing with forgiveness is that it's a way out. When you're condemned, there's no way out. You're doomed. There's no hope for you. And the truth is, without Christ in your life, that's why I, I don't know how people without faith and knowing Jesus really do life. For us. it's got to be pretty awful. The weight of guilt that people carry must be really astronomical. It gets heavier and heavier and heavier, and it'll suck the life out of you. The great joy of knowing Jesus is that guilt gets lifted off of you. I'll never forget when I first came to Christ and asked him into my life to forgive me of my sins. I literally felt like the weight of the world was lifted off of my shoulders. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's not about feelings, whether you feel it or not isn't the point. But man, I I felt it really big time. It changed my life. All of a sudden to have all the wrong you've ever done lifted off of your shoulders is a wonderful, glorious experience. And man, I was smiling from ear to ear and I had joy unspeakable. All the time. And that was back when I was 16 years old, just at the turn of the 1870s, and, uh, and, and to have that, and I still have it today, I still feel it, I still sense this wonderful joy of the heaviness of guilt. So, well, do you ever feel guilty since then? Well, yeah, sure, whenever I do something I shouldn't do, and I have to make it right. But the good news is that there's no condemnation in Jesus. You can come and make it right. That's the glory of it. And that's why the psalmist writes, blessed is he, which means to be happy, joyful, lighthearted whose sins are forgiven whose sin is covered when this dawns on you and you realize it that changes you it's why we gather the way we gather it's why we get together and sing this morning we're singing and celebrating we're celebrating in these services why because we are happy that our sins have been forgiven it's not that we're perfect nobody here is perfect but the joy is that we can have our sins forgiven because of what christ did for us on the cross so Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Now, let's jump over to Luke in the gospel reading this morning. Luke, the 19th chapter, starting at the first verse. It says, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a regular tax collector. He was the boss of tax collectors. And he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was. Here comes Jesus. And he wanted to see. But he could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature, a little guy. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, Jesus, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him in the tree and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come on, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when when they saw it, talk about all the people, they all complained. Can't imagine that, people complaining. They all complained, saying, he's gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. And then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. This is a very famous portion of scripture about Zacchaeus, the little guy. Let's go back now and take this apart and take a close look at what's going on. It says, now his name was Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. The reason he was rich is because they were crooked and uh, people hated him. Uh, Now. We have tax collectors today. They're not like, like this, okay? First of all, they couldn't even be like this because they can't get away with stuff. There's all, everybody, checks and balances. But back then, can you imagine? There's no computers. There's no W-2 forms people are putting in, you know? These guys are collecting all this money. And all the guy's got to do is say, uh, you know, maybe he takes in $1,000 and he tells the Romans, yeah, I took in uh, $500 today. You know, and he pockets the rest. There's no way of tracking it. Now, they want to be careful because you don't want to get in trouble with the Romans, but they'd figured out a way to get away with all kinds of stuff. And again, they're working for who? The Romans. The Romans are the occupiers. At this time, the Jews did not have their own land. And this occupying army, the Romans who were very intense and crushed wherever they want to control everyone, they're under the power of these Romans. So these guys are working for the Romans. So everybody feels that they are traitors, okay? Okay. They're traitors to the nation. They've turned their back on their own people. They're collaborators, if you will, with the enemy. And you can imagine the emotional disgust that they had for these people who did this. They hated them. They were thought the worst of the worst. Again, there's people who work for the government today. They're not evil even if you don't like the government. Uh, You know, they're just regular people. I know tax collectors. They're rather nice people, actually, you know. But back then, they were really slime bags, and they didn't like them. They were listed among the worst of the worst. Well, they would list the worst of sinners. They would list uh, adulterers and liars and thieves and murderers and tax collectors. They were the worst of the worst. And these people despised these people. But it says that he was rich. He was really rich because undoubtedly he was lining his pockets. He was a chief tax collector. So not only did he probably line his pockets with what he took in, but probably with what other people took in that were working for him. So he's got it made. So he wants to see Jesus, but he couldn't because of the crowd. Now, um, Jesus at this time is like a rock star. The Bible says wherever he went, there were multitudes of people that followed him. I don't know how many a multitude is, but it's a lot of people. There are thousands of people. There's throngs of people. And he is like the thing of the day. And everybody was hearing about him. And people were excited to check him out. That's why multitudes were following him. And Zacchaeus wanted to follow him. And he's looking. He can't, you know, see. You know, it's like at a Packer game where you're trying to sit down and everybody's standing in front of you. (laughs) Sit down! (laughs) Because you can't see. So everybody's going to stand up to see over the top. Well, he's a little guy. He can't see. So he goes climbing up into this tree because he knew that Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, I want you to think about this. Zacchaeus was not a devout believer in Jesus. He probably didn't know anything about Jesus. He just knew that he was famous. And he's climbing up in the street. He just wants to see him. That's all. He's he's just a casual observer of what is going on. And there's a lot of people that you start out in faith actually as a casual observer. Someone invites you to church. Maybe you've been invited this morning. They're in Appleton or at Stevens Point or here. You know, somebody <laughs> corralled you from coming this morning. You're a casual observer. You know, you're just kind of watching, checking things out. And that's fine. That's where everybody starts. What you don't know is that there's really no such thing as a casual observer in God's kingdom. If you're here today, you're here on purpose. You may not think you're here on purpose, but I guarantee you, you are. God has a plan for you and he draws people and they come in at different levels and this guy comes in and he just just checking it out that's all he's not trying to sign up for anything he's just looking and seeing as Jesus starts coming up and he's watching that you have to understand that you start out in faith as God calls you and starts to draw you and a lot of times he draws us in the ways that we're not even really aware that he's doing it and that's what God does so when Jesus comes to this place he looks up, and he sees this little guy <laughs> up in a tree. And he says to Zacchaeus, hey, Zacchaeus. Now, first of all, I'd be thinking, how do you know my name? You know, that's kind of impressive, right? Right? Oh, Zacchaeus, you need to come down right away. Well, this is kind of cool. This guy even knows my name. He, he comes down. Jesus says, today I must stay at your house. So Jesus now takes this casual observer, someone who's just kind of checking out and makes him the focus of attention. See, God knows that you're here. It's not a surprise to him that you're here. When you walked into church this morning, he didn't go, oh, myself. You know what I'm saying? He knows who you are and what you're doing and he's drawing you. So he calls Zacchaeus and says, come on down. And Zacchaeus becomes the, the focus of attention. Uh, (laughs) It says, I'm going to stay at your house. I was kind of excited about this. I'm not sure what Mrs. Zacchaeus thought of all of this. Comes in, all these people are coming. She says, I told you, don't invite people without letting me know. I didn't invite him. He invited himself. You know, he's, all of a sudden, he just shows up. I'm going to stay at your house. Oh, oh, okay. So here he comes. You know, it reminds me of that verse in uh, Revelations, uh, the last book of the Bible. Um, You know, we just... We just celebrated Halloween. A lot of people like creepy things that scare them. I don't. I get creeped out too easily. But you want a nice creepy read? Read Revelation. I mean, he's seeing what's going to happen at the end and how awful things get. Anyway, as John is seeing this vision in this final book of the Bible that's showing him the end of time, uh, there's this verse where Jesus appears to him. And Jesus says this. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, it opens the door. I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Again, I promise you, no matter who you are watching me right now, either as an unexpected guest this morning, or maybe you're watching on the internet or on television or wherever we're at, and you're just thinking, oh, you're just kind of checking things out. I promise you, God is calling to you. And he does this to everyone. And he says, I'm standing at the door and knock. If anyone hears the door, open the door. Right? I think of that song someone's knocking at the door. Anyway, so anyway, open the door and let him in. A lot of people, they don't hear the knocking. They're kind of oblivious. They're, you know, not focusing in, but he wants to come into your life and make a change in your life. So anyway, Jesus now makes Zacchaeus the focus of attention. And, uh, but then of course, all the religious people come together. Aren't they a lot of fun? And when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now, we don't think much of that word today, but back then it's a big word. I mean, they despise these people who are in these categories of sinners, the worst of the worst of human beings. You don't have anything to do with them. And all of these people became critical. Now, it is human nature to become critical, particularly of people who are different than us. And we always have to be careful with that, you know. One of the dangers of getting actively involved in the faith community is sometimes you can forget where you came from. Somebody say amen, right? Sometimes we get, you know, a little arrogant, start looking down your bony ecclesiastical noses at other people. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Think of what you were like, all right? Everybody, all of us are sinners. All of us need God in our lives. Uh, we were just recently in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, Sin City. <laughs> Hi, Eve. She's from Vegas, right? Yeah. So uh, um, it's, it's a crazy town and all kinds of... No- so we're there and we're speaking at a church. There were 1,000 people that came to listen to my beautiful face. And uh, uh, we had a great time in this church. But uh, we were shocked that how many people online were criticizing us. What are you doing in that horrible place? What were you do in that horrible place? That's Sin City. Would Jesus go there? The answer is, uh, actually, he would. You know, if he showed up today, I think the first thing you'd do is grab a flight to Vegas. (laughs) Because that's what he did. He would intentionally go where everybody thought you should not go. And people who think, gee, you shouldn't be in a place with lots of sinners, don't get this. Of course you should. We hang in all kinds of places. We'll go sit, and and rather than sit at... uh, um, you know, like at the table or something like that. We love to go sit at the bar. We do it all the time, probably most of the time because we like to engage people and talk to people. You know, I told you recently about that couple that uh, we prayed for that family. They were sitting at the bar and found out that their son, brother, whatever, had been in a horrible accident and they didn't know if he was going to make it. He was in a coma, he was in bad shape. We prayed for him, encouraged other people to pray for him. I don't think there's a whole lot of praying going on in most bars, but when we show up, we got the opportunity, we will pray with you. You know what I'm saying? And, and how God answered the prayer. The guy is altogether whole today, which was a miracle. And uh, thank God for that. But you look for opportunities. You look for places. I know there's people who criticize that. I know one time uh, we got really criticized. Uh, it was when I first got here before y'all had a chance to get used to me. <laughs> but uh, early on, uh, people who didn't approve of that sort of thing, you know, you know, they were the religious people. We were hanging with sinners. They thought it was too much. And they said they were accusing me and my brother Ed, Bishop Ed, of, of being drunk. And I said, what do you mean we were drunk? I said, well, I saw you were by that bar, and you were laughing loud like you were drunk. I said, oh, no, 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 no. If we're at a bar and we're quiet, then we're hammered, okay? <laughs> if we're loud, we're as sober as can be. I guarantee you. You know, but just people looking ah, looking for reasons to disapprove of others. By the kind of people, listen, Jesus was a friend of sinners. If you don't have some really slimy, nasty people that you're friends with, you ain't doing this right, <laughs> you know? Some of you, comes natural because that would just describe your family, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, but you should engage with people. This is how you win people. Touch people's lives. Get in, into people's lives. Don't let a big wall of us and them start coming across, you know? Uh, and it can not only be just with, uh, you know, sin and, and things like that or unbelief. You know, one of the big things today is just the, p- the political strife that's going on in this country. It's bad. I've never seen it this bad. It's certainly been worse. People think it's never been this bad. Nay, nay, I say unto thee, nay, when you got neighbors lining up in lines, shooting at each other like they did in the Civil War, that's pretty bad. We're not there. God forbid that we should ever get there again. But, you know, it's been worse. But it's pretty bad. And people try not to have anything to do with someone they disagree with politically. And we all have our political opinions. I got political opinions, you know. You don't hear much about it because at Celebration Church, we don't really care what your political opinions are. We have people way on the left, people on the right, people in the middle, you know. Who cares? We're here to love God and stuff. But one of the nice things, be nice to the people that don't agree with you, even though you feel like punching them in the throat. You know, don't do that. Be kind. Let your faith be bigger than your political opinions. Amen. Thank you for that. Spontaneous amen. <laughs> amen. <There we> <laughs> oh, he's working the crowd. All right. So, so anyway, we don't know what Jesus says here. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail. With things, I personally find it a little frustrating because inquiring minds want to know. I want to know what's going on. People say the Bible is a bunch of stories. If it's a bunch of stories, these are the worst storytellers ever in history. Because a story tells you what's going on. And this guy said that, and that person said this. There's pieces of that in here, but overwhelmingly, the Bible, that happened, that happened, that happened, that And You're thinking, well, how did that happen? And and what do people say when that happened? So we don't know what Jesus is saying. All of a sudden, we know when Zacchaeus says, obviously he must have been saying something important and really touched Zacchaeus. But just this next verse says, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, "Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor." Now I don't know how much money this guy's got, and I'm pretty sure I don't care how much money anybody has. When you give half of it away, that's gotta hurt. All right, something Jesus said. So struck this man, and in his great wealth, he felt bad for what he had done, and he wanted to make it right. And he just gets up and proclaims he's going to give half of everything he owns and give it to the poor. Good news if you're a poor guy in that neighborhood, all right? But that's a powerful statement. So we see here not only a casual belief, but an active belief. A lot of people will have a casual belief you know I, I i i believe in god you know kind of like i believe in you know whatever you know it's, it's, it's it doesn't really change them they acknowledge it but when you really get this right it will change you i am not saying you have to give away half of everything if you come to faith that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is something changes and it'll change the way you act It'll change the way you behave. There's a fancy word for it in the Bible. It's called repentance. When you repent, it's like you stop, you turn, and you do it differently now. And when you come in faith, you need to do that. Just believing in Jesus is is one thing, but you have to show some kind of active belief. You need to start living it out. When you start living this out and you start willingly Turn away from what's wrong and decide I'm going to do what's right, even though we stumble along the way. This is a powerful statement of faith. It is repentance. And that's what Zacchaeus does. Again, we don't know what Jesus said. It had to be impressive, I'll tell you that. But boom. All right, Lord, I'm going to give away half of everything I own. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore it four times. Which must have put a dent in the other half. <laughs> you know, this was, this was a big statement said Zacchaeus at this point he repents and Jesus celebrates this in verse 9 he says today's salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham which is hard for the religious crowd to swallow because you know we don't like this guy but Jesus did this all the time you know he was hanging with people who were they criticized him you know they even accused Jesus of being a drunk and hanging with prostitutes and all these ickies why? because that's what he did He he wouldn't engage in their bad behavior, but he's bringing them life. And that's what he does. And then Jesus announces why he even came into the earth. In verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. It is his purpose, and it should be, as people of faith, our purpose. Our purpose, you know, we all have various purposes, You know, our professional purpose, family, we all have our goals and stuff, but one of our main goals in life is to seek and save, and that means you've got to go look. The saving part, that comes easy for us. We like it when people come to church, and they ask Jesus in their heart, people come to faith, and we all celebrate that. It's the seeking part we're not very good at, and the thing is we need to seek. Now, people don't like to seek. You know, I don't like to look for things, you know. My version of looking is, you know, first of all, I, I don't see anything. I, I'm the worst looker. I, you know, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a typical man. I don't know what it is. Uh, I was telling a group the other night, there was this uh, s- uh, thing, a study they did, I saw it on the internet, where they took 50 men and brought, brought them to this refrigerator. Now, in the refrigerator, they had a stick of butter right on one of the shelves. And they brought, and the test was, ask a man to open a refrigerator and see if there's any butter in there. Okay? 43 of the 50 men go like this. <laughs> no, no, there's nothing there. You know, oh, my gosh! You know, that's me. You know? <laughs> Deanna last night asked me, is such and such up there? And I, No! No, it's not. And she got up and it was right on the table right in front of me. He's like, oh, you know, that's me. I'm a terrible looker. I don't even like looking. And most people don't like looking because it's kind of exhausting. You know, I get this a lot from single people. You know, they don't want to look. They like, I'm so tired of trying to find a spouse. I don't want to date anymore. Well, then you're just going to say single. I don't know what to tell. I know it's exhausting. Some people find quick. I was a quick finder. I married the first girl I ever dated and married the second girl I ever dated. And as I said before, if anything happens to her and I date you, look out, all right? Because it's, cause I, I, do, I do not mess around, you know. Want to date me? No, I'm not ready to make that commitment yet. You know, that's, that's, that's what I would think if I were you. So anyway, well, uh, you know, it's, it's, what am I talking about? What, uh, <laughs> Seeking. Thank you. I have the attention span of a fly. Okay. So seeking. Life. They don't want to seek. They don't want to look. Most people. It's not that easy for them. They got to look, 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 and they get so tired. I hear people single people. Oh, I'm so tired of looking. Do you have an answer, Sweet, I don't have an answer for you, dude. I don't have an answer for you. You know, people come. You know, of all ages. You know, I'm single. How do how do I find someone? You got to go look. You got to. Oh, but it's so exhausting. (laughs) What can I tell you? You know, we'd all like to get a paycheck and not have to go to work, right? But that doesn't work that way. You actually have to show up. You've got to look. People don't look. And one of the things that we need to do as a community of faith, not only provide a place where people can come and be saved, have their sins forgiven, you know, but we need to seek after them. We need to look after them. We need to get a little, and I was talking to our staff uh, last week, we need to get in seek mode in Celebration Church. We've got a great church. We do a lot of wonderful things. But the danger of Christianity, sometimes it becomes about everybody in the walls, in our own little community and stuff. So we need to start looking for people. If there's anything that we should be doing as a community of faith, all of us should have the attitude, who can I get? Who can I find? Really, honestly, become friends with people. Even if they're icky, creepy people that nobody else likes, you be their friend, right? Just reach out and look for people. I'm so excited. Now, this won't mean anything to you guys at Appleton and Stevens Point, but here at the Green Bay campus, there's a big... Uh, uh, Quick trip that's going in across the street. And I think, this is awesome. (laughs) Lots of people we can seek after. And the neat thing about it is on this wall over on this side of the building, it's just a big, you'll see it on the way out, big, big wall. Now, you can't just put up billboards in city limits. You have to have permission and signs, and they give you grief like you have no idea. You can, however, hang a banner on the side of your wall. (laughs) So, so we got a big Yo Mama wall here. And there's going to be so many people coming over there now. And we're going to find all these really cool billboard-type things. And we're just going to hang them on the side of that sucker. And that's going to be great. And we want all these people to look because we're seeking for you. Haha. That needs to be our attitude, reaching out to people. And so much, you know, it's, and part of this legacy thing that we want to do is raise the kind of money. What? Why? Part of it is seeking money. We want to find ways to reach out and find people. And I love all that's happening with the new school down the road. And again, sorry for you guys over in Appleton and Stevens Point. It has nothing to do with you. But the new school down there and this stuff here and the new buildings that are going, the homes that are going, there's a lot of new people moving around here. This is awesome. We need to have an attitude of let's go find these people and let them know that we're here and that we have a place they can come and meet God in their lives and find ways to minister and to help them. That was Jesus. And the same with your community, you know, for our Appleton campus. You now you're in a new part of the city. Time to go seeking, you know, impact people in that area. What can we say? What can we do? Uh, how, how can we introduce ourselves uh, to people? That should be our attitude. Same end point uh, as we reach out. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We also need to do the same. Anyway, back to Psalm 32 where we started. Verse 5, and it says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity, which is a fancy word for guilt. And I said, I will confess my transgressions, another fancy word for sin, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's the wonderful thing. We can come to God, whether you've had a really stellar week or this week, you said and did things you shouldn't have done, or maybe you're casual observer, and you've never even asked Christ into your life. This morning, now, as we get ready to serve communion, is our opportunity to get things right with God. I'm going to ask our ushers at our campuses to come forward now to get ready to serve us communion. This is when we turn our attention to the cross. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, came and suffered on that cross. He took what he did not deserve so you and I could get what we do not deserve, which is forgiveness for everything wrong we've ever done. For some, if this is your first step of faith, it's a big step. There's a lot that can be lifted off of you this morning. And the good news is he'll lift it. And if you've done things and struggle this week, here's the time to get it right uh, with God. The Bible says when you take communion, before you do it, you should examine our, yourself. You know, where am I at with God? And think about the message. Can I be a better seeker? Am I the kind of person that separates myself from people who don't think politically like me or don't do the kind of things that I do? Do we sneer at people? If that's the case, let's get that right. And uh, let's kind of do a reset this morning. I'm going to invite all of you to pray a prayer with me. If this is the first time you've ever been in a church like this, if you'll pray this prayer with us, you can start your first steps of faith this morning. Let's bow our heads everywhere in our campuses and here. and Let's pray this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus... I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I put my hope and trust in you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.